Now, in Proverbs, what we see here is a number of things that uh, we, we have certainly some of the content of what God calls us to do. But perhaps one of the most noteworthy aspects of the Proverbs regarding family worship is, is its revelation of the relationship between parents and children. And uh, it's pretty interesting what God shows us in the book of Proverbs regarding a relationship between parents and children. Now, let's think about the contemporary scene today. So, uh, the contemporary sort of mother and father, if they've uh, been courageous enough, right, to raise a child in this day that we live in, right? If they've, in the contemporary terms, if they've uh, been willing to fork over the financial demands of raising a child and so forth and entered into, you know, whatever whatever uh, demands that might be, uh, you know, to some people, they, they look forward to having children because they like Little League Baseball, right? I mean, what else is there? You know, or or or... They, they want him to be the smartest kid in the class or whatever, right? Um, but uh, in your, in your uh, relationship with others, in your interactions with others, what, are, what, a, what do parents look for in the relationship with the child, particularly, say, after age 18? Okay, they want to be friends. Who said that? Okay, Carlos? Yeah, yeah that's good. That's certainly a good goal. I guess I've been unique in my interactions with people because it seems to me they want to interact with the world. Their idea is when the kids are 18, bam, back to me world, right? I'm going to start playing whatever, start spending my money on not this and that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, um, turns out that starts before they're born, right? Yeah. So, let's look at uh, a few of the Proverbs here and see what the Proverbs reveal about this relationship. And this is a thing um, we can, and obviously, those of you that aren't parents, you you perhaps uh, have thought about this to some degree. Um, it would be important for you to recognize uh, that uh, really what is revealed here, not only obviously from the parents' perspective, but from the child's perspective as well. I mean, all the parents have been children. They are children, right? They're somebody's child, right? Uh, I'm, I will always be my mom and dad's youngest son. I'll always be that. I'll always be what my mother thinks of me when she calls me on my birthday. Uh, you know, she's, she's, she's not remembering the day I graduated from high school or college. She's remembering the day I was born. I'm just a little... Little bitty guy to her, right? And that's who I am for my mother. I mean, I'm 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 a son. I'm happy to be her child. Um, and so, but also, obviously, I'm a parent as well, and we see that in the Bible. So let's look at Proverbs 23, 23, verses 15 and 16. Proverbs 23:15 and 16. My son, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. My inmost being will exalt when your lips speak what is right. 
Now, what we will see, if we were to do, a, and we are going to do a little bit of a study here. Um, matter of fact, if we were to look at a few more verses down, verse 22, uh, in, in chapter 23, Listen to your father who gave you life. Do not despise your mother when she is old by truth, and do not sell it by wisdom, instruction, and understanding. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and mother be glad. Let her who bore you rejoice. Now, what we see in the Proverbs is something that that parents and children, to some degree, have experienced. Uh, If you're a parent, you've obviously been a parent and a child, so you have a little little more full uh, sort of understanding and appreciation perhaps for this. But the reality is, is what the Bible reveals is that the relationship between parents and children really is permanent. It's a permanent relationship in many ways. And also, it's, it's, it's exclusive in that this, this joy that a parent can have, and that it, particularly from the parent's perspective, is directly attached to their relationship with the child. Now, this is something that a lot of people would really, they would rather that not be the case. Um, but if you've got, if you've had wayward children, or if you've been a wayward child, uh, you you should know when the proverbs reveal, right, that that uh, while the parent or the child can try to dump on that all kinds of ointment and things that would draw the mind away, it's always going to be on the surface, right? It's always going to be there that this this thing. This problem between parent and child will always impact negatively or positively. There's no, there's no escape from that. Uh, now, it's not all a downer, of course, because we recognize that the Lord can overcome that, right? The Lord can give us grace to live as faithfully as we can in the midst of a broken relationship. But nonetheless, the reality is, is that we can all likely right, affirm that, yes, and amen, the reality is, is that my relationship to my parents or my relationship to my children is always going to have a very large impact on how I view the world, on my own demeanor, on my countenance, and this sort of thing. Um, and, and it doesn't, again, the Lord can help us with that, right? But it's, but it's, it's a thing that's always there. It's, it can be weighty, right? It's a thing when things are good. You, you have this, this feeling that things are going well. When things are not good between children and parents, then things it seems all around are, are kind of great. Does that make sense? Any comments on that at all? Any comments on that? Now, I don't mean to... That, again, depending on what stage you are as a child or a parent, I recognize that, you know, this this might not seem to be the most, uh, you know, countenance-boosting aspect of the lesson today, but nonetheless, the point that the scriptures make, and the only point that I'm really trying to make here, is that there is this indelible relationship uh, between parents and children. And, and by the grace of God, we can overcome that, because the reality is, is that, uh, and I was just uh, talking actually with John about this not long ago, the reality is, is that these relationships, and in my own actions as a father, right, can be a curse or a blessing to my children, right? And we feel... We feel that, we sense that, we, all of us as fathers and, and, and mothers as well have looked at our children and we've said, yep, that came from me. Ah. And, uh, or, or we've said, you know, 
I praise the Lord that what you know what what grace has has come to me. I, I thankfully can see that revealed in my child and so forth, and we can be appreciative of that. And we again we look to and we have a greater dependence on the Lord because of these difficulties, and they can shape and they should shape our desire to to long for and to work and to provide the means for a growing relationship with our children. But nonetheless, the reality is the only point I'm trying to make here is that the family connection between father and son, between mother, uh, obviously mother and father and children is uh, is that which which is a, a, a tremendous kernel for how things will go and a sense of well-being for parents and children. Now we look at Proverbs here. We also have this idea in uh, 15, let's see. In 23 verses... Twenty-three here. Buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. Now, what do you think the point is there? Buy truth and don't sell it. Okay. Now the buying and selling. What is the paradigm of that? What's the what's the what's the category? Buying and selling. This is a, this is a this is an example. This is an illust- this is using illustrative language here. The buying and selling. How, what what category is buying and selling in? Okay, it's an economic category, right? It's an investment category, right? Okay. Buy truth. Don't sell it. Got anything you want to buy and not sell? Okay. This is an expression of value, right? It's an expression of value. If you're going to buy something and never sell it, I mean, what is, what is there like that? Not a lot. There's not a lot in that category, right? But nonetheless, the category is that category of investment and value, right? Buy truth. So, you know, as we, as we talked earlier today in the book of Genesis, the revelation of, of the process of redemption, the progress of redemption in the Bible, we see here that God has made us to have a relationship, a living relationship with Him, right? He's created us for that. And if that isn't my priority, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continually be half a bubble off, right? I'm going to continue to smack a hammer or smack a nail, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to miss it every time, right? You get really close. But that nail's never going down because you're, you're headed the wrong way. You're doing the wrong thing. It's not going to work. You haven't been created to do that, right? You've been created for a relationship with God. If that's not a priority, if truth isn't a priority, and so it's revealed in our home, is truth that if, 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 you know, an innocent bystander were to walk into your home, would they, they see what you value, right? What would they see in your home? What would they see in your relationships? Buy truth and don't. I mean, uh, you know, it's not. It, and I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't mean that uh, you know the proposition here is that you have a you know a home that doesn't have anything in it, but like the big word truth or something. I mean, that, but you see that you see that um, again when you go to my home. I mean, you you see some things that I value. Apparently, I value you 
you know, cows or something. I mean, so or uh, or books or something. You know, I mean, yeah, those are those are valuable things, right? But but nonetheless, is there is there a recognition that there's a, a value of truth, that that's a priority, right? That's the idea. Okay. Um, now let's look here at. Uh, verse 26, my son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. So this is just simply an appeal to conscience. Um, and when we think in large terms, um, particularly of child rearing, uh, we can really think, if, if you, you can break it down in a number of ways, but one of the ways you can break it down is this, you know, if you want to call it corporal punishment or spanking or whatnot, this, this typically is going to be for younger children, right? I mean, the Bible doesn't have an alternative. Uh, to corporal discipline. It doesn't have an alternative to spanking. The Bible doesn't offer to us that. It, uh, you know, God has placed his, uh, his approval upon that. And uh, those of you that have done it biblically have seen its results. The second aspect of that, particularly when they get older, is this appeal to conscience. And what we see here in Proverbs uh, 23 is nothing less than that. It's a, my son, give me your heart. Give me your heart. What, what is meant by that, do you think? Give me your heart. Okay. What's the heart represent in Scripture? It can be a number of things, I guess, but ultimately, what, what would it be? What would you say? The heart. Okay. Okay. Yeah, right, all those, right? Okay, so it's, it, it's, it's everything in me that's non-physical, right? It's really it's the stuff that makes me who I am. Give me your heart. It's your mind, will, emotions. It's the thing that makes you tick. It's, it's what are you inclined to, your affections, right? Give me your heart. I, it, it really is sort of a give me everything uh, sort of idea. And, and this is an appeal from God to another, but also it's an appeal from a father to a son. My son, give me your heart. Will you listen to me? And what we see here is, again, even at an early age, there's this cultivation of establishing father and mother as teacher, right? As affectionate teacher, as a loving They, you know, right? They know they can go to you, that you know. That you, there's this, there's this uh, again, building, growing relationship, right? My son, give me your heart. This is an affectionate thing. This is, that we, we, this is not devoid of, this is not, hey, do this. Yeah, there is that in the family for sure. Hey. Do this, do that, watch out, stop, go, get down, go fast, go slow, right? There's the, all these things are important, right? But my son, give me your heart. This is an appeal, right? It's an affectionate appeal. How do we present ourselves as parents? How do we deal with the truth? This is what's being dealt with right here in, uh, in Proverbs chapter 23. Continual persuasion by parents to listen to God and follow Him. Now, here's the thing. This is an interesting idea because when we think of teaching the Word of God and the Law of God, when I use the word persuasive with that, if I were to call a man to persuade his child that the Word of God is right, is that a biblical notion? Persuading? That sounds like I'm, that sounds like I'm trying to encourage you to kind of maybe soft step some things or, 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 or remove maybe the rough edges of the declarations of Scripture. What, what, do, you, what do you think uh, that would mean to persuade affectionately regarding this? Is that a, is that a good idea? 
do you think? Bad idea? Any concerns there? Okay. as they get older, right? Can't control their, their non-physical, right? Parents, you know, little kids are born little, right? There's a reason for that. Lots of different reasons, right? I'm bigger than you. I can take you wherever I want. Uh, and that's, that's a very, very good thing, right? As a matter of fact, Psalm, or rather, Proverbs 19 addresses that. So I draw your attention to Proverbs 19:18. Proverbs 19.18, Discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. Discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. So disobedient children have disobedient parents. That's the long and short of it. Now, discipline your son while there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. Did you ever think about... Did it ever enter your mind that you were putting your child to death when you failed to discipline them? When you decided to sit in the chair, right, and say, ah, I'm tired, don't do that. And they do it anyway, and you say, I'm tired, and they do it anyway. You say, well, I'll catch it next time. Did it ever occur to you that you were at that moment involving yourself in the death of your child? That you're, that you're putting, your, is, that, is that an accurate assessment of what the proverb is saying here? Am I... Am I Running roughshod over this passage? Do not set your heart on putting him to death. Right? So this again, this idea, we and we've all seen this, particularly as parents, right? Children, if you're mature enough to know, and you're probably not in this room right now, if you are, because you're in somebody else's Sunday school class, but nonetheless, you have recognized that sometimes your parents kind of take a break from parenting. And if you are really cognizant of the holiness of God, you've also recognized that in those moments you might try some things that you know you shouldn't. So the Bible reveals here in chapter 19 of Proverbs, Discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart at putting him to death. There is hope. It's reasonable for parents who live in the universe that God has made to inspect to expect that your efforts, albeit imperfectly, applied to your children and teaching them the ways of God and entering into this, there is hope, right? You should be encouraged by that. You should be encouraged that the Lord does intend to bless the work of your hands, albeit imperfectly, right? As you do the things that you do as well as you can, you should expect that the Lord will bless those. Discipline your son. Again, a key aspect, particularly for little children, of this admonition is timeliness in applying discipline and establishing godly habits. Obviously, we have to start young, right? Got to start little. 
We've, it, we've, it must be a priority that our children stop when we say stop, go when we say go, right? Jump when they say how high. Right? That's very, very important. There's no, there's no alternative to that. Um, because it leads them into a recognition. Again, you establish yourself as authority, as teacher, and that they follow. There's no alternative. A two-year-old is far easier to deal with than a 15-year-old, right? And if they learn that mother and father are faithful, devoted to the Word of God, albeit imperfectly, to an affectionate appeal to persuade you of the truths of God, but yet they, you recognize as a child that, yes, what they, what they intend and what they say to me is for my own good. And so this is a relationship that's built. We can blow that, obviously, in a hundred ways. The greatest hope and most thorough training, obviously, is training which begins early. Creating an environment in our homes that includes normal daily worship events allows the centerpiece of the home to be God. This is the cultural idea in our homes. We know that we're creating a culture in our homes, right? Whatever that is. We're doing it. We're we're doing it right now, right? You go home today, the culture is gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna reveal itself for what it is, right? Uh, and so whether it's good or bad or, you know, a little bit of both, obviously. And so we see here. Let's look at Proverbs 22.6. Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. This odd thing that happens in parents, right? So <clears throat> when your children are little, you're really smart, right? And when your kids grow up a little bit, what happens? The parents seem to get really dumb, right? The kids think, well, they don't know anything. Am I wrong? Right? Okay. So now we, we understand that. That's a natural inclination of a sinful heart, right? But what we see is, is that parents, uh, or rather little children, are they inclined to believe parents? Absolutely. They're inclined to believe you. They're inclined to trust you. They're inclined to go where you go, to do what you do, to want what you want, to like what you like. And that's why that the Proverbs reveal that here, right? The Proverbs reveal that right here uh, in, in, this, uh, in this chapter. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. This shaping, this bending, this forming or straightening, if you will, uh, right, it will, it will uh, continue into the future. That's the hope that God sets before us. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Hear, O sons, the Father's instruction. Be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get insight, do not forget, and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Now, one of the challenges uh, of parenting, of course, is that it seems that when our children are most needful of our leadership, it seems also that at that time, our careers or situations elsewhere seem to be very demanding upon us, and we, we sometimes sort of leave off uh, an intensity in our, in our parental leadership here. But uh, we've got to stay focused. We've got to stay focused. We've got to be ready to speak 
God's words on many subjects in our home and also not be ashamed to say, I don't know. I need to go figure that out. <laughs> Let's study the Bible together on, on that. I'll finish up here in Proverbs chapter 31. Proverbs 31. So the 30 Proverbs, uh, with the exception of 31, appear to be uh, declarations of a father to a son. Right? It's appropriate. We see that. But 31 is a little different, isn't it? 31 is written from a mother to a son. And it's interesting because uh, we uh, recognize that Solomon's mother likely was one who understood the inclination of a man's heart toward absolute authority that the king of Israel was given, Uh, the inclination of a man's heart to the raucous parties, to loose women and this sort of thing that no doubt were a part of life in the royal sphere. What does she say? Well, it might surprise you. Verse 2, what are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? Uh, The point here is that uh, she has this sort of cascading uh, 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 sort of uh, declaration of urgency, right? And of the importance of the relationship that Solomon has with his mother. Do not give your strength to women. Your ways... To those who destroy kings. What is she talking about? Do not give your strength to women. And we can think about this perhaps in a multiple choice way. Is Solomon's mother saying, don't commit yourself to a wife because she'll draw away your strength from other things. Is that what she's saying? Oh, okay. Well, what is she talking about here? To give your strength, that's, uh, let's think about this in terms of category again. We thought... We thought about uh, buying and selling in terms of the category that it was presented in the terms of investment, right? Of value. Giving one strength to, what is that? What is that a reference to? Okay, power. Um, Strength is power. To give my strength to something would have to do with a priority, right? Did you ever do something all day and somebody said, did, did you really do that all day? Did you really give your strength to that all day? Have you, is that really the inclination of your life? That, is that where you're going? Right? Don't give your strength. Now again, a mother to a son, right? A mother to a son who will be king. 
Hmm, what do most men think about, young men? They've got something on their minds. It might not be how to be a faithful king. It might be women and cars. Can I get a witness? Don't give your strength to women. That is not in the category of how to love your wife well. Right? That's, that, would be a, that would be a categorical mismatch. That would be you reading into the Scriptures that which isn't there. Right? We can go to lots of other places and see an absolute devotion of a man to a wife. Right? But what, what is Solomon's mother telling him? Is that you, you must be a man who has defined and valued that which God has valued. It doesn't mean that God hasn't valued women. It's that God, in fact, has valued wives, right? Or those things that He has intended for you. Not this, not this sort of, in a general sense, giving all of my time to that which actually I'll have nothing to do with in the future. That which will, in fact, destroy the very life that I hope to live, right? Does that make sense? Don't give your strength to women. That's why we want to be so careful about as the book of Ecclesi or the book of uh, the Song of Solomon says, awakening love too early. When you awaken love too early, what happens? I can't think of nothing else. Right? That's what I'm persuaded that Solomon's mother is getting at here. Maintain priority. Have a consequential understanding of the things that you focus on, right? Let things be in their place. You be a person uh, who knows this sort of thing, who knows place. And this is something that we want to teach our children, right? This idea. Any questions, comments? I did have a question on the uh, saving 